I could turn the page in time that I'd rearrange just a day or two. Close my, close my, close my eyes. I couldn't find a way, so I settled for one day to believe in me. Tell me, tell me, tell me lies. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Can you guys hear me? I, I feel like there's an echo. Is it just me? Or do I sound echoey? Yes on the echo or good? No echo. Okay. So I guess I'm the only one hearing an echo. Damn, it's going to drive me insane. All right. So today is February 4th, 2021. Wow. It's been the longest four days ever. I mean, it feels like it's slow, very slow. So yesterday we had a kind of touch base uh, with the people in Ohio uh, to file uh, the quo warrantos within the state, again, challenging only state positions. Um, we are not going to look into the uh, federal level ones because once you get in on the state level, that's where you fix it. So um, I'm kind of, I'm really excited. I don't know if you guys are excited, but I'm really excited. And I can tell you that I am so extremely proud to see my fellow Americans doing the same thing in every single state, uh, stepping up and taking control of their nation. Our leader, President Trump, inspired everyone to speak their mind, to stand up for what they want, to demand that they are free people. Because one thing that we constantly say, well, this is America. We're free. The question is, are we really though? Think about it. As Americans, we should have freedom of speech. We uh, should have um, the ability to do anything we want. We should have the ability to pray to whoever we want. We should be able to wear whatever we want. We should uh, be able to walk wherever we want unless we can't walk, right? But that's not the case. We don't really own our homes. The city does. I mean, we can get down to the basics because they do. Uh, they have the right to take it away from you if they feel the need to do so and buy it from you at a dirt cheap price or just take it. And they have to wonder, when did that come into play? Like, when was that slotted into your state, city, or county? What clown decided Jim and Barb have their house there, but we want to build a road and this is how we're planning it. So we're going to take their house. 
and we can. So when we can't, so let's make it so that we can. So then they don't go after Jim and Barb's house yet. They don't tell people about the city plans. What they do is they quietly pass a municipal law where they all agree that in times of eminent domain, they can come in. And because everyone was so busy with life, right? So busy with the debt that these people in elected office have burdened us with because, you know, we're giving away trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to foreigners. Right? And then they're enriching themselves too. Uh, look at all those big fat portfolios. Damn. Didn't know you can get into office and get rich. I mean, it's 194,000 a year, but that doesn't translate into millions of dollars into stock portfolios. That makes absolutely no sense. Right? I mean, how does that even happen? So all these things were done while we were sleeping. And then we have American citizens claiming that socialism is a good thing because it's going to be for all the people. What they don't understand is the Sturmabeitling, the SA. And what they don't understand is that socialism is slavery, but it's just slavery for everyone. So everyone's equal. It's definitely slavery, 100%. And so we're in this predicament where there's a lot of people that understand that there is a world order, that they have been telling you this, that we have created it, our own nation created it. But um, I guess maybe we should just have a former CIA uh, director tell you that themselves, right? How important it was to make sure that we keep this new world order, this world order, or else it will collapse and everything we work for will be worth nothing. Americans should not take the current international order for granted. It did not will itself into existence. We created it. Likewise, it is not naturally self-sustaining. We have sustained it. If we stop doing so, it will fray and eventually collapse. This is precisely what some of our adversaries seek to encourage. President Putin, for example, understands that while conventional aggression may occasionally enable Russia to grab a bit of land on its periphery, the real center of gravity is the political will of the major democratic powers to defend Euro-Atlantic institutions like NATO and the EU. If you look at the first period of Putin's rule from roughly 1999 through uh, roughly 2008 or so. He was lucky in that time because oil prices were real high. And the Russian economy is fundamentally based on exporting natural resources. Oil prices have been diving. He's been under sanctions. And he's now shifted his emphasis to maintain the support of the Russian people to uh, external adventures, which are quite popular in Russia. The question, I think, is how does this evolve? And that is where we have considerable influence. How do we uh, have a relationship with China uh, that is based on mutual respect and, and so forth, uh, the foundation of which ultimately uh, is the U.S. economy and then our military, diplomatic, and other uh, instruments of power? Uh, and how do we accommodate? How do we work with China to accommodate its understandable desires um, so that we can help shape this world together. The question is the sustainability of this. Again, it's the battle after the battle. 
what happens after Mosul is cleared, the rest of Nainua province is cleared? Can there be inclusive governance that guarantees minority rights as well as majority rule? If that's the case, you won't see fertile fields plant for the planting of the seeds of extremism in ISIS 3.0. Uh, if not, then I, f I fear that we may see a, this movie again. <laughs> we'll see this movie again, huh? So basically, we created it, and we have sustained it. Indeed, we have. We, the taxpayers of the United States of America, have been indeed sustaining it. I mean, you saw it with the bill. Look at how much money we're giving to all these foreign nations, and for what? Think about it. Why are we paying them so much money? Why are we giving them so much of our money? Is there a reason that we need to give Pakistan money to uh, I don't know, think about the various genders? I, I, it, it, it drives me insane <laughs> just thinking that there is a rational person sitting somewhere thinking that that, that that sounds good. That sounds really good. And, you know, trolling around to get my news, I uh, to get to, not my news, but to see where American citizens sit. I actually look at the far left and the far right sites. Um, and I just, you know, people don't seem to understand what, future events have occurred, what were then when we were discussing them, not future, and um, what is happening right now. I mean, we have all assets deployed, foreign and domestic. We saw it on November 3rd. <laughs> Our domestic assets working with the Chinese, <laughs> the CCP, we should say. So if the domestic assets that we have domestic assets, not just Democrats, domestic assets, people that work as contractors for the Pentagon, the DOD, the agency that will not be named. Mm? So we have our own people working against us. Collapse will always come from within rather than the outside. At least you see the others coming from within, they speak pretty words, pretty words, pretty words to the point that people are kind of thinking socialism is good. I don't know, whenever I get into my real trolly moods, you know, I may post in Telegram, hey, I'm on this channel trolling this, uh, this guy over here, want to come over and help me red pill them? I think it's important for us to take a view as how, uh, Socialism is slavery. And I found this uh, nice little animated clip. As the world continues to suffer the effects of inequality, many people continue to gravitate towards the hope they see in socialism. But below the surface of socialism's promise of equality, there is a design flaw in the system that makes creating equality fundamentally impossible. For socialism to succeed, someone must ultimately define what equality is and someone must plan and control the necessary systems to achieve that vision of equality. Which then leads to the question, who should decide? And because of the inherent complexity of managing an entire economy, the natural answer is the government or the state. 
In turn, this creates a system in which the state must be given an immense amount of control and authority over its people. In order to establish and maintain an economy capable of distributing wealth equally to all, the government must control production, the industries and businesses that generate wealth. They must also control where each person must work and what the conditions and wages of a given job are. To maintain equality, they must tightly control every resource, down to even the most basic elements of life, from where a person may or may not live, to what private property they may or may not own, to how much food they can buy at one time. The state must also have the authority to silence or stop anyone who creates dissension, because if anyone resists, the entire plan is threatened. In effect, all of this makes the state the ultimate arbiter over people's lives. One group of people controlling another group of people. Which begs the question, what do you call a person who is not free to work for themselves and enjoy the fruits of their labor, but is forced to work for the primary benefit of someone else? What do you call a person who is not free to come and go as they please, but is told where they must live and where they may or may not travel? What do you call a person who is not free to live their life as they see fit, but is controlled at every level by someone else? The answer is a slave. And slavery is the most severe lack of equality. There was no equality in the forced labor camps of the Soviet Union, no equality for the persecuted and oppressed minorities of Cuba, and there is no equality today in Venezuela, where thousands of starving citizens are being detained, tortured, and even killed by the state. The fundamental design flaw of socialism is that regardless of motivation or intent, its quest for equality has always resulted in slavery. And so, slavery. The key word, right, that the leading party that wishes to control everyone else uses, they want reparations for slavery too, right? But yet here they are promoting it. And you know how that was done? That was done before, in a way of slavery, I guess. It wasn't, it was, but wasn't. If you remember back in Nazi Germany, there were um, ways that they controlled everyone. They had the SA, and we're going to talk about the SA. But they silenced people. They really did silence people. And this is happening now. We are in a digital age. Our public discourse is in cyberspace. Our discussions are now on screens, very impersonal, right? We can speak to people from every corner of this nation in an instant. We can have coffee with someone on the other side of the planet and even outside of this planet. So that means that we go through modes of communication that at this point we see control the switches. They can turn you off because they want to. They can change who is allowed to speak, what you are allowed to hear or see. And that's because you're not free. And it's important that we remember that we are not free. We are indeed in a socialist nation. The socialism kicked off with the same plan, same specs, same actions that they implemented 
in order to take it to the next phase in the late 19, what was it, 1915 when they kicked it off. Remember, what we experienced in 2020 was a decade in the early 1900s. A historian's wet dream, a plague, financial losses, race wars, the Dust Bowl, murder locusts, I mean, threatened by asteroids almost every day, and propaganda on tap from everywhere. And where you thought you at least had some control of conversation, which was the internet, Twitter, your Facebook page, you realize that the people that you were having a conversation with, 90% of them don't even exist. They look really realistic. I'll have a Facebook profile for them, pictures with children and people. I mean, have you ever went to the webpage, www.thispersondoesnotexist.com? You know what that page does? It creates humans from a collection of faces around the world that are readily available. Who needs actors when you have AI? They convinced you that your elections were lost. Well, they tried to. They stole it. And here I've been for over three years, and I know many others have too, telling you that this was coming. Telling you that on election day of 11-3 is where it kicks off. That's where it begins. Telling you that you have four years after that and that the hard work starts in 2021. This is not a fight just for you to keep your home. This is a fight for your life in general. And I, I don't believe that people have realized that. It's quite terrifying to see a race as the human race cease to exist as it once did and to be morphed into something different, something like cows in a pasture. What did the liberals say? cow gets raped to give you milk, right? Something like that. So they begin with silencing you. That's how they start. Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis yesterday announcing sweeping new regulations in his state uh, to curb the online censorship that's been going on around this country, including mandatory opt-outs from content filters. The regulatory plan is the most aggressive in the country, and the Republican governor has bipartisan support there. Joining me now is Trish Regan. She is host of the Trish Regan Intel podcast. Trish, uh, always great to see you. Uh, since Congress failed to rein in monopolies, I'm glad to see a conservative governor in Florida actually doing so. What do you think? Look, I, I'd agree with you. So the problem here is that these tech companies have gotten way too big. I mean, way, way too big. I mean, Facebook is the only game in town, right? Google has made it really hard for any competitors to get into these spaces. Um, so consequently, you know, you only have so many outlets for social media. And if you want to have your message be heard, you need to be on those platforms. And so that's where I sort of come out at this or come down on this, I would say, Chris, is the fact that these companies are monopolies. Now, there's the flip side that's, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't have government interfering in business. And I get that. But the problem we now have is that our businesses have gotten so big that they are monopolies, that they are interfering in our personal life. Right. And if you're a politician who's campaigning in Florida and Google doesn't like your party or what you stand for, and they can suddenly come in and say, OK, we're going to block access 
or on Facebook, we're going to block access or Twitter, we're going to block access. Well, then that really yeah. doesn't enable you to have a fair campaign because you can't reach everyone. So I think this is pretty creative. We'll see how it holds up in court. I suspect that the tech companies are going to argue that this is, you know, their freedom to be able to decide what goes on their platforms. But nonetheless, it's going to bring this whole issue of whether or not these are monopolies, and I believe they are, to head. No kidding. I, and, I'm, and I'm with you. It's one thing to compete with somebody. It's another thing to use your monopoly position to keep them out of the market, to stop them from competing with you. Uh, one is American. One is anti-American, and that's how I feel about this. Speaking of anti-American, I want to uh, play this soundbite for you. This is Amanda Ensing. Uh, I don't pretend to know this world, but she's a beauty influencer, and she came onto the show yesterday. It seems Sephora gave her the boot because she's a Latina conservative who supported President Trump, and this is what she told us. Watch. Do they think that conservatives don't wear makeup? You know, when did makeup become political? Do they think that conservatives don't deserve their makeup? So, you know, we'll happily take our money elsewhere. But I, I would like them to say it with their chest, like say you don't want conservative dollars instead of just saying you do. But then clearly, you know, they're painting a very different story in a lot of our opinions. So what about that, Trish? Do you think that these companies can make it with uh, with with just liberal dollars? Can they can they make a profit and flourish with only liberals supporting them? So they're leaving out half the country, right? That's what you're telling me. Look, conservatives buy things yes. too, guys. <laughs> conservatives, support needs to know this. Conservatives like makeup too. Um, and you know, you, you're being pretty short-sighted if you're just going to ignore an entire group because you're so scared about the political environment that we're in. Um, uh, you know, again, it, it's their choice. You know, they pick who they want, who they think can be a good brand ambassador, but. It has become, Chris, such a politicized, crazy, insane world now where it's sort of okay to discriminate against somebody because of their political beliefs, because they, they see things a little bit different. And we're not talking just you know a, a few people here. We're talking about half the country, 75 million people. And so I think it's a bit um, short-sighted and, and not so smart of Sephora, <laughs> but I guess they're right. You can shop at Ulta. I wouldn't call it a winning... <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it a winning business strategy. Let's put it that way. And the biggest knee slapper a day comes courtesy of the New York Times. Remember, these are the folks who published the biggest fairy tale in, in recent history, the 1619 Project. These people are pushing the Biden administration to, to found the Ministry of Truth, or what they're calling it is a reality czar. <laughs> what do you make of the New York Times? Didn't we talk about the Ministry of Truth? I mean, I just took off the Ministry of Truth. No, it's on my my screen, the Ingsoc logo. I did talk about it over eight months ago. And as you know, the Tory says chat uh, has that logo, right, of the Ministry of Truth and, and the party, right, as its uh, official picture in Telegram. So the Ministry of Truth, we did a whole thing on that. Months and months ago, I even uh, had uh, the Ministry of Truth shift version, right? And uh, what you need to realize is that they're going to control what you are allowed to think. And we're going to get into that because this is this has happened before. It's a textbook play. And you've seen this movie before. If you tap into it, you've seen this movie before. So the question is, are you going to be an idle audience watcher or are you going to jump in on the script? I mean, that's your choice regardless. This has already been panned out. There's already too many people moving. It's just, where do you want to sit? Where do you want to sit? Ministry of Truth.
New York Times pushing for a reality czar. I think it's wild. I think it's actually really dangerous. And by the way, realities are, Chris, their words, not yours, not mine. Realities are. And you might say, oh, well, is this like an onion type thing? Is this a spoof? Like, this is a, a, a paper that has a long and storied history that should be standing up for the First Amendment. It should actually care about journalism and the freedom of the press and freedom of speech. And here they are saying they want somebody in the administration to be fair. It was their author, but they did choose to publish this piece. And this particular author interviewed a whole bunch of people that totally agreed with him, a bunch of academics that said, yeah, we need a reality czar because you have so much disinformation, which can lead to extremism, which could lead to terrorism. I mean, these are some really strong, strong words that they're using for people um, that they don't want to hear from. And so the idea that you're going to use uh, some kind of ministry of information, right, that Biden should have a quote unquote reality czar to make sure that people are not reading and talking about things that are not true. I mean, that's pretty wild. And don't forget, you know, Chris, it, it doesn't have to be political here. And it's not. These are our basic freedoms. And our Constitution allows for us to have this freedom of speech and not have interfere, interfering um, from interference from the government. And so that could turn yeah. very quickly, oh. right? So how do we evolve as, uh, you know, a society if we are told that we are not allowed to think of new ideas or things to contest the already placed system? I mean, wasn't it Copernicus and Galileo and even Columbus who went against the grain? But I don't think that the earth is the center of the universe. I think it's a sun. Well, you're going to go to jail because you're thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking about. Yet that helped evolve science. What do you mean you want to fly, right, brothers? Are you insane? You don't have wings. What do you mean uh, fly? This is how innovation happens by being able to think. You know, um, insanity is defined as someone who doesn't have bounds in their thoughts and logic. <laughs> so, what do you call someone that puts boundaries? To where they're allowed to think. I think they're the ones that are insane, limiting the limitless possibilities. And as I've said, what is the biggest advocate to enslave you? It's called reason. Reason talks you out of everything. When I say everything, everything. It talks you out of doing things and saying things. But you know, these little uh, brown shirts that we have that are in office right now, because that's who they are. They're the brown shirts of 2021. Are those in elected office? The crazy governors, mayors, right? They're the ones that are the brown shirts now. The brown shirts. And one will be like, well, that was, you know, a little bit extreme in uh, Nazi Germany. No. They served their purpose, and then they were removed, if you remember correctly. And what they think is, is that they're important. The Pelosi's, the Schiff's, the Biden's, right? They think they're important, which, by the way, Biden, he's on his way out. They're going to 25th Amendment him so quick when this all comes up quickly. <laughs> it's going to be quite interesting to watch. It is going to be very interesting to watch. But the one thing that uh, we need to... Remember, is that what did the essay 
do back in the day? Well, the way they would violently intimidate people was the same way Antifa's doing it. They would be out in the streets causing destruction, hate, anti-police rhetoric, running amok, burning books, flags, you name it, that's what they did. I mean, are we not seeing the same thing here? Our nation was burning in the summer and they let them burn it down. Under the guise of COVID, they released criminals to do so. Then they were physically hurting political opponents. You know, kind of like that guy a couple years ago, right? The pharmaceutical executive to lower the prices. You guys were circulating his report two years later that I talked about. The guy that beat himself to death outside his garage. And it was suicide because, you know, you beat yourself to death outside of your house in the morning on the way to work, outside of your garage. Or was it when he was coming back from work? One of the two slumped in front of his garage, beat himself to death. Coroner said it was suicide. But that's okay. We can forget about that. That was a one-off, right? Physical assaults. Do we not see that here? Are we not getting it here? Not only that, the SA that helped give rise to the Reich in Germany intimidated voters in all national and local elections. Are we not getting the same here? Do we not see the same thing happening? Were they not protesting while you went to vote? Did they not threaten you if you don't vote one way or another? And not only that, since you use the mail, they easily duplicated your ballots and filled them out for you. And then when that wasn't enough, because <laughs> they just assumed, oh, we'll just do this percentage, they created their own and used dead people and made up people. And people not eligible to vote, like, you know, people in prison, people already six feet under, people that don't have the right to vote in this nation. Then they would say that we are anti-fascist. That's what, that's what Hitler's message was. Conform, obey us. You must not speak against us or else you're a fascist. Are we not seeing the same thing here? We are. So what happened was these essays, well, you know what? Let me introduce you to the essays. I've got some really nice uh, clips and I've got, for those of you that are watching on video, I've got tons of um, old footage uh, that you can watch. Um, so you can see them in person. Remember the essay made Hitler, but then Hitler dropped them for the SS. He actually massacred them all. So if Schiff, Hoven, Kramer, McConnell, you name it. Every single person sitting in a seat right now think that they will be spared. <laughs> they are so wrong. During Hitler's rise to power, there was a group that played an extremely significant and brutal part in his rise to the position of Führer. The SA were integral to the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, and their violent antics would be pivotal in establishing Nazi rule over Germany. In this video, we'll look at who were the SA, who were their key leaders and individuals, the history of the group, and much more. To support our channel, please make sure to subscribe. Firstly, let's look at what SA actually means. It stands for Sturmabteilung, which in German means Storm Detachment. The foundation of the SA actually predates the formation of the Nazi party, interestingly, and it was an older establishment. When World War I came to a conclusion in 1918 and Germany surrendered, there are a number of independent paramilitary groups or units that plagued the defeated country. 
These were known as the Fry Corps and were made up of prominently First World War veterans who had returned from combat. The Fry Corps fought against communism and other groups that they believed were to blame for the German defeat of the conflict. The groups were very popular, with an estimated 400,000 men involved in their paramilitary activity by 1921. One of these was known as the Turn Bund Sport Abteilung, or the Gymnastics and Sport Division based in Bavaria. This would later be rebranded into the Sturm Abteilung or SA. The SA would become deeply entrenched and associated with the German Workers' Party, which also saw a rebrand into the more historically notorious Nazi Party under the leadership of Hitler. At the time, speaking in public about politics was a rather dangerous thing to do in Germany, so the original task of the SA was to protect their prize asset Adolf Hitler, as such speeches and gatherings would often attract communists, the SA's enemies, and would result in ferocious brawls and violence. This would play into Hitler's hands, as the members of the SA were made up mostly of old military, who certainly knew how to handle themselves, and they knew how to deal with these events when it kicked off. When fights would break out, the police under the Weimar government were usually unable to cope and were powerless, and it would be the SA who would restore law and order. This would give Hitler vital ammunition in his speeches, claiming that the Weimar government lacked leadership and power to govern the country effectively, saying he was the one person who could restore Germany to greatness and control law and order. Funnily enough, it would be the members of the SA who were frequently breaking the law. However, their power on the streets was huge. They seemed to get their own way, and under the leadership of their charismatic speaker, the SA looked like an attractive proposition to many people in Germany. In August 1921, the Nazi Party newspaper, Der Volkisch Bierbachter, called for young men to join the SA, declaring them to join the fight against the foreign races that were intent on destroying Germany. In March 1923, interestingly, Hermann Goering would become the leader of the SA, which at this point had around 3,000 members in and around the Munich area. Goering would later be appointed to the position of an SA Gruppenführer, but would maintain this until officially the end of the Second World War. As mentioned earlier, one of the key parts of the SA's responsibility was the organising of Nazi events. One of their first activities was the Munich Beer Hall Putsch, which took place on November the 8th, 1923. The Putsch was a failed coup in which Hitler tried to seize control of the Bavarian government. During the Putsch, 2,000 members of the Nazi party were marching to the Feldernhalle in the city centre when they were confronted by the police. This resulted in the deaths of 16 Nazi party members and four police officers. Hitler would be wounded in the clashes, as would Goering, and although a failure, this brought Hitler to the attention of the Germans and the worldwide press. Adolf Hitler had now become a name people had known about. After this, Hitler was leniently imprisoned in Landsberg prison where he went to work on Mein Kampf. However, the German government would ban any Nazi party organisations, activities, and this would lead to the formal dissolution of the SA. Whilst Hitler was in prison, the SA was reorganised into a group called the Front Ban. Whilst the Führer was in prison, Ernst Röhm, an early Nazi party member, had been given the authority to rebuild the SA. Röhm would continue to organise paramilitary groups and attempted to join multiple sympathetic groups together from across Germany within the Front Ban. This would be unpopular with the Führer, however Rome would later go on to be the leader of the SA in 1931. Following Hitler's release from jail, the SA would be formally re-established in February 1925, and in 1926, 6,000 stormtroopers or SA would participate in a Nazi party rally. 
By 1930, the group were gaining huge numbers, with the membership swelling to around 60,000. Following the catastrophic events of the Great Depression, with the effects being felt harshly in Germany, anger grew, and in 1932, there were well over 400,000 members. And when Hitler was in power, the number would grow to 4 million. As the SA's numbers grew, the organisation continued to embrace violence and their legacy would be remembered for this. Members would aggressively interfere with meetings of political parties or groups who opposed their beliefs. They would raid these meetings, fight with other paramilitaries, influence elections to a huge degree by intimidation, and would also go on to intimidate groups such as Jews, Roma Gypsies and Communists. They believed these people were the enemies of Germany, and they would be extremely violent and brutal towards them. In March 1933, members of the SA would ransack the local offices of Social Democrats, and one Social Democrat was beaten to death. Also, another incident involved eight SA members shooting an ex-band leader of a communist music group. Ernst Röhm's leadership, however, led to the group to become much better organised. His plan was for the SA to absorb and replace the German military once Hitler became in power, but Röhm had a flaw. His devotion was purely to the Nazi ideology and cause, rather than a personal veneration towards the Führer. When Hitler became Chancellor in January 1933, the size and strength of the SA under the leadership of Rome became a huge problem for Hitler. He would find himself with a large group who were possibly more loyal to Rome than they would be to him. Also, the acts of brutality and violence carried out by the SA were an issue, and Hitler would want to distance himself from this and establish himself as a proper head of state when he got into that position. During one week, for example, the SA would have clashes with Social Democrats, which led to the deaths of three SA members, and in retaliation, the SA tortured more than 500 men, with 91 of these dying. The SA's ability to wield violence on a mass scale was terrifying, and Rome began to talk of a second revolution to go along with the Nazi one. This led Hitler to grow suspicious of Rome, and he deemed the SA at this point to be too powerful and as an internal threat to the Nazi party and himself. Rome would also go on to criticise Hitler in public, at one point accusing Hitler of being rotten and betraying the SA. This ultimately sealed his death warrant. In June 1934, the Night of the Long Knives occurred after being organised by Hitler and his top advisers. This was a huge purge of the SA that led to the massacre of many of its leaders, with many being shot by the newer organisation, the Heinrich Himmler-led SS. With this night, many of Hitler's other enemies were also murdered, and in particular, Ernst Röhm was. During this purge, at least 85 members of the SA died, including their leader. However, it's been estimated that this figure could even be as high as a thousand. Hitler had got what he wanted. He had brutally suppressed the organisation and brought them into line, showcasing his supremacy and ultimate power. Following the Night of the Long Knives, the SA was in limbo. In 1935, a major reorganisation took place and men aged between 18 and 35 were sent into service with the German military. The men of the SA, aged between 35 and 45, were placed into reserve and those older were assigned to local militias. Hitler intended the 35 to 45 year olds to help in maintaining public order in German towns. The SA would exist in some capacity up until May 1945, when Nazi Germany collapsed. The SA would be banned after the fall of Germany and at the end of the Second World War in Europe. However, interestingly, the International Military Tribunal at Nuremberg 
found that the SA were not a criminal organisation. So today, the SA are most notably recognised in images and footage by their brown shirt uniform. However, they had a key role in the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. Once the Fuhrer, though, was in the position of power he greatly craved, he saw the potential of the SA as a tool for overthrowing him, and therefore plotted their downfall effectively by brutally purging them. They were a hugely important group in ascertaining power for Hitler and were awfully brutal and intimidating to the local population, with their power being completely tied in with violence. We hope you've enjoyed this video. So in other words, once uh, they were deemed a threat to his reign, he purged them. He got rid of them. I see. See, the SA were the people that spoke for the people, supposedly back then. And they had a lot of power. In this day and age, it's the politicians, it's the mainstream media, right? Because they'll be purged too. When they see something where it draws a line for them, and <laughs> that line is really far out to where normal morals are, right? They'll be a threat. So if you're a threat, they will remove you. Here's a uh, synopsis. The SA, or the Sturmabteilung, were known as Sturmtruppen, or stormtroopers within the Nazi party. The SA was a paramilitary force under control of the NSDAP, who played a key role in Adolf Hitler's rise to power. Kind of looks like the symbolism that Antifa uses, uh, kind of, kind of, like the anarchist symbol, but not really. The SA was founded in Munich by Hitler in 1921, where it drew many of its members from the Freikorps, a group made up largely of ex-World War I soldiers that were used to fight leftists in the streets by the current Weimar government. The SA wore brown uniforms modeled after the black shirts in the fascist movement in Italy, and are often nicknamed today as brown shirts. The unit was tasked with protecting NSDAP meetings, marching at Nazi rallies, and engaging in numerous political fights on the streets of Weimar, Germany, including with the Red Front, which was the Communist Party of Germany's paramilitary force at the time. The SA was one of two NSDAP paramilitary groups in Germany at the time, with the other being the Schutzstaffel, or SS. The SS was tasked with being Hitler's personal bodyguard, and the SS had much stricter requirements on joining its ranks. For more information about the SS, please check out my video on the Waffen-SS. The SA, on the other hand, could easily accept anyone who wanted to join them, and their numbers soon overtook the SS by a factor of 20 or more. The SS was placed under the control of Heinrich Himmler, in part to restrict the power of the SA and their leaders. Many of these SA stormtroopers believed in the socialist promise of National Socialism, they expected the Nazi regime to take more radical economic action, such as breaking up the vast landed estates of the aristocracy once they attained national power, even though this was not at all Hitler's intention. The SA had a full ranking system that was later adopted by other organizations, including the SS. The SA was in disarray and was soon reorganized in 1925. From January 1931 onward, it was headed by Ernst Röhm, who was the radical socialist and dreamed of building the SA into Germany's main military force. Rom's SA membership swelled to a staggering 400,000 men by 1932, and some estimates say it was perhaps 2 million strong by the time Hitler rose to power in 1933, which made it 20 times the size of the regular army. During the first days of the Nazi regime, the SA carried out street violence against Jews and other Nazi opponents. 
The essay was not looked so fondly upon, though, by the regular army, the German people, and by wealthy industrialists, whose support Hitler desperately sought. Wohm's ideal was to absorb the army, then limited by law to no more than 100,000 men, into the SA, which would be a new people's army. This deeply offended and alarmed the professional army leaders and threatened Hitler's goals of co-opting the Reichswehr. Bohm continued to press for a second revolution that would involve a socialist takeover of the country. Bohm was also a homosexual, which gave Hitler's party a bad image and could potentially undermine Hitler's messages he wished to deliver to the public. The NSDAP officials and Hitler himself grew to despise the SA over the years, as their brutal and thuggish street tactics shed a bad light on the NSDAP, which Hitler was attempting to shape into a respectable and clean political party. This clean and respectable party image was always at odds with the SA and its many unvetted and radical members. The younger SS had evolved to be more than just a bodyguard unit for Hitler and demonstrated that it was better suited to carry out Hitler's policies. Hitler eventually came to a conclusion and made a critical decision known as Die Nacht der Langen Messer, or the Night of the Long Knives. Bohm, along with dozens of SA leaders, were executed, and the SS took its place as the dominant paramilitary force in Germany. After the purge, the SA was reduced in strength and continued to play a minor role in the political affairs of the Nazi party. But after the war began in 1939, the unit was essentially regulated to training home guard units as most of their members were drafted into the Wehrmacht. I hope you enjoyed this video, and if you did, please make sure... The Wehrmacht. I used to wear Wehrmacht when I was a kid. Um, I loved them. They were the boots that they wore. <laughs> they were very comfortable, too. Uh, so what is the Night of Long Knives? That is uh, the time that uh, the people that actually helped bring Hitler to power were taken out. They had extended their use, right? They were no longer needed. And their ideas didn't align with what he had. I mean, at that point, Hitler didn't even know what he wanted. He started it so that they can become a great uh, national capitalist nation. And then look what happened. The Night of the Long Knives, or the Rome Purge, also called Operation Hummingbird, was a purge that took place in Nazi Germany from June 30 to July 2, 1934, when Adolf Hitler, urged on by Hermann Göring and Heinrich Himmler, carried out a series of political extrajudicial executions intended to consolidate his hold on power in Germany, as well as to alleviate the concerns of the German military about the role of Ernst Röhm and the Sturmabteilung the Nazis' own mass paramilitary organization. Nazi propaganda presented the murders as a preventive measure against an alleged imminent coup by the SAW under Rome, the so-called Rome Putsch. The primary instruments of Hitler's action, who carried out most of the killings, were the Schutzstaffel paramilitary force under Himmler and its security service under Reinhard Heydrich, and the Gestapo, the secret police, under Göring. Göring's personal police battalion also took part in the killings. Many of those killed in the purge were leaders of the SAW, the best known being Rome himself, the SAW's chief of staff and one of Hitler's longtime supporters and allies. Leading members of the socialist-leaning Strasserist faction of the Nazi party, including its figurehead, Gregor Strasser, 
were also killed, as were establishment conservatives and anti-Nazis, such as former Chancellor Kurt von Schleicher and Bavarian politician Gustav Ritter von Kahr, who had suppressed Hitler's Munich Beer Hall Putsch in 1923. The murders of SA leaders were also intended to improve the image of the Hitler government with a German public that was increasingly critical of thuggish SA tactics. Hitler saw the independence of the SA and the penchant of its members for street violence as a direct threat to his newly gained political power. He also wanted to conciliate leaders of the Reichswehr, the German military, who feared and despised the SA as a potential rival, in particular because of Rome's ambition to merge the army and the SA under his own leadership. Additionally, Hitler was uncomfortable with Rome's outspoken support for a second revolution to redistribute wealth. In Rome's view, President Hindenburg's appointment of Hitler as Chancellor on January 30, 1933 had brought the Nazi party to power but had left unfulfilled the party's larger goals. Finally, Hitler used the purge to attack or eliminate German critics of his new regime, especially those loyal to Vice-Chancellor Franz von Papen, as well as to settle scores with old enemies. At least 85 people died during the purge, although the final death toll may have been in the hundreds, with high estimates running from 700 to 1,000. More than a thousand perceived opponents were arrested. The purge strengthened and consolidated the support of the Wehrmacht for Hitler. It also provided a legal grounding for the Nazi regime, as the German courts and cabinet quickly swept aside centuries of legal prohibition against extrajudicial killings to demonstrate their loyalty to the regime. The Night of the Long Knives was a turning point for the German government. It established Hitler as the supreme administrator of justice of the German people, as he put it in his July 13 speech to the Reichstag. Before its execution, its planners sometimes referred to the purge as hummingbird, the codeword used to send the execution squads into action on the day of the purge. The code name for the operation appears to have been chosen arbitrarily. The phrase, Night of the Long Knives, in the German language predates the killings and refers generally to acts of vengeance. Interesting. So why are we revisiting this layer of history? Well, because as I've said many, many times before, history repeats itself. And this is exactly the point in, in history that we are at. The purge, though, isn't done by shooting you in the street and spilling your blood. It is not done by slitting your throat. Hmm. We're having the mass arrest. We're seeing that. We're having the label. We'll we are also having the cancellation. I mean... If there's a sudden spike in a new version of COVID, they could just come to your home and pull you out because you're a danger to people and throw you into a gulag. I mean, that's their plan. That's how you silence people in the masses. That's how you do it. Because when we take out your leader, you will bend the knee, right? That's how you see it. And what they see now is that President Trump is still your president and they do not like that at all. They want you to bend the knee. They want you to fear them because they will eliminate you. Did you file a case against us? We're going after your license. Did you say something? Yeah, we're not renewing your contract. Did you say something? Sorry, we don't have a job for you. We use clear force and yeah, that's exactly what they want. 
And the thing is, they can't do it right now because the world is watching. We made sure that the world is watching. So right now, all they're doing is providing you this fear porn, providing you all of this fear, hoping that it shakes your faith. Hoping that you bend the knee willingly, that uh, you succumb to what they say. I mean, we're already canceling you. We've already caused you economic hardships. We're already attacking people because we feel like it. And look at us in the media. We walk out on uh, talks because we don't like what they hear. Which, by the way, we should visit and see what he had to say for himself. Why he felt compelled to walk out. We should, right? We should hear um, how he ate some crow. <clears throat> or did he? That's the question you should ask yourself. Did he? I don't know. But the bottom line is, you have to decide. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to make sure you're not there? That's what you have to decide. You should have decided that in 2016 when you voted for Trump. That should have been your decision. Your vote was that decision. Let's go fill up those coffee cups and see how he excused his walkout. Prepare for these Trippin' in the world could be dangerous Everybody's pulling his vulturous Negative, nepotist Everybody's waiting for the fallen man Everybody's praying for the end of time Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was born for this Whip, whip, pull me like a wrist Hoards, pull me like a rip cord Break me down I wanna be the slip, slip word And we should always do what it takes and whatever it takes. Because like the song says, come on, man, the adrenaline rush you get when you bust through a wall, the adrenaline rush you might have when you break chains. I mean, how is that not awesome? And knowing that you have that power to change things, because that's exactly what you're doing. You just haven't realized it yet, that this revolution is unlike any other. And so the first hour, I wanted you guys to see what all of this is, what the whole plan, well, their plan was, and how you can see it now. But what you have done in 2016, those of you that dropped your vote unknowingly, was demand that you break those chains. You understood subconsciously that you were not free, that you are indeed a subject to those in office. And now you realize that how do you remain a subject of people that you appointed? You take your power back. And that's exactly what Americans are doing. I mean, I said last year, I tweeted it out on February 5th, or was it February 6th? I mean, you know, give or take, it was a leap year, so it could be 5th or 6th, that you're going to start to see what SCOTUSgate really, really, really means.
And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of people, many, many trolls, of course. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of like trolls because, uh, and, and real trolls, right? Not AI bots. You can tell the difference where they're like, well, you know, well, we have to see. I was like, dude, that really, are you waiting for someone to come save you? Is that what kind of a China you are? You need someone to be able to tell you what the future is. I've been telling the future for three years. Maybe you've been listening. Maybe you have not. And in 2018, in some of 2019, I had really good, good points of disinformation for specific targeted people. Because what I would say was not always for the people. One of the biggest intelligence drops ever was telling you how everything was going to lay out and land on the 3rd of November. We've been talking about it a lot. We, I have been saying it in a very passive way. So that way, when it happened, you'd be like, wait a minute, I, I, I already knew about this. The riots, the false flags, the stealing your voice at the ballot box. I mean, if that didn't wake you up, I don't know what will. You're probably still sleeping. And then there were so many that failed to see when the Joint Chiefs of Staff issued that letter about what happened on January 6th. They were upset. I mean, how does, how do things resonate? See, I've talked about light before. Light exists. It does not travel. Light is the basis of all. I mean, what you see with your eyes is just light manipulated. Remember, it's rods and cones in the back of your eye that interpret light waves to give you the shapes you see from how those atoms resonate. Seeing is believing. Is it, though, if I can bend the light? If I can shift what you are able to see, is it really true? How do you know? Oh, I saw it. Did you, though? Because in this day and age, you can't trust anything you see. The only thing you can trust is your gut, how it makes you feel. So when you see something, you have to go back to that core, just like when you were a kid. How does that make me feel? When I hear that, how does it make me feel? When I speak to this person, how does it make me feel? When I watch TV or this scene, how does it make me feel? You know, that gut that we've been talking about, the gut that you've been so far removed from. Almost, well, the majority of the messages that I get is, how do I start listening to my gut more? It's like, you know, I don't know. Do, do I fast? Do I meditate? I said this yesterday too. It's simple. Stick to the bare truth no matter how ugly it is. So now let's go back to this bare truth. There's a paragraph I want to read you from that uh, letter from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I want you to listen to the words carefully. To our men and women deployed and at home, safeguarding our country, stay ready. Keep your eyes on the horizon and remain focused on the mission. We honor your continued service in the defense of every American. I think that's the only part that you really need to listen to. I think that's the only paragraph you need to listen to. 
to understand what that whole letter had to stay. My pinned tweet in my now deleted account was that these are going to be times of chaos, trying to go off of memory. And then we are going through uncharted waters. And we've got the best damn captain to steer that boat. But it is imperative that you find you're still in the chaos. It is imperative. Now, many of you want me to read the whole letter. I don't know. The whole letter doesn't really say a whole lot. But I can. It was dated. It was sent memo to the Joint Force. The American people have trusted the armed forces of the United States to protect them in our Constitution for almost 250 years. As we have done throughout our history, the U.S. military will obey lawful orders from civilian leadership, support civil authorities to protect lives and property, ensure public safety in accordance with the law, and remain fully committed to protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The violent riot in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021 was a direct assault on the U.S. Congress, the Capitol building, and our constitutional process. We mourn the deaths of the two Capitol policemen and others connected to these unprecedented events. Not so much unprecedented, we knew. We witness actions inside the Capitol building that were inconsistent with the rule of law. The rights of freedom of speech and assembly do not give anyone the right to resort to violence, sedition, and insurrection. As service members, we must embody the values and the ideals of the nation. We support and defend the Constitution. Any act to destruct the constitutional process is not only against our traditions, values, and oath, it is against the law. On January 20th, 2021, in accordance with the Constitution, confirmed by the states and the courts, and certified by Congress, President-elect Biden will be inaugurated and will become our 46th Commander-in-Chief. And then to our men and women deployed at home, deployed and at home, safeguarding our country, stay ready, keep your eyes on the horizon, and remain focused on the mission. We honor your continued service in the defense of every American. So the Constitution pretty much states that the states of this nation must certify along with Congress, the elections. This is, has been legally on paper done, though their selection of certification was illegal. They knowingly and willingly certified an election that was rigged, fraudulent, and raped us of our First Amendment right. But that's okay. Because see, it'll come quickly. It'll come swiftly. I think we were talking about it in the summer where I was like, a lot of people are going to jail, man, if you certify an election that you know is not real in its sense of depicting the actual voices of the people that you are certifying, that's kind of a crime. And you're in a lot of trouble. Now, as I said before our little break, I wanted to hear what Bob Sellers had to say about walking out on Mike Lindell. Here he is on your screen with our most beautiful emerald. I want you to hear him. 
and what he told the world. Watch American Agenda yesterday. You may have seen something out of the ordinary happen during an interview with Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow. Mike is a friend of this network, and we were supposed to discuss Twitter's decision to ban him and the impacts of cancel culture on his business. But there was some confusion, and Mike thought that we were to talk about vote fraud in the recent election. It's a topic we have covered extensively on Newsmax. I was frustrated that we couldn't focus on the current very pressing issue of free speech and cancel culture. And in hindsight, there is no question that I could have handled the end of the interview differently. And Newsmax. Wait a minute. So he was upset that Mike Lindell wasn't talking about silencing him, yet he walked out on him to prove how he's being silenced. Okay, legit. We seek out all points of view. Mike was back on Newsmax last night with Rob Schmidt on his show to continue the conversation about cancel culture and the censorship by social media. Mike also made clear he thinks Newsmax is great, his words, and I can tell you he will continue to be an important guest on Newsmax. I think you'll enjoy what Mike had to say last night, so here it is. Well, they took down my personal one too, and then yeah. uh, just yesterday, I actually put up on my so on uh, my pillow account, I put down, hey you guys, here's what I posted on my personal, why, um, why Jack took this down. And it was a nice letter from one of my employees uh, because my integrity is getting attacked everywhere right now. And uh, they took it down in about five minutes. And so now it's funny, all the news media was reaching out to me today going, well, how are you going to get your messaging out there? How are you going to talk to your customers? And you know what? Our customers have always stepped up right now. It's amazing. Just like Newsmax did, you know, um, the other day, you know, you guys had the promo code Newsmax. Right. I went to com and you saved up to 66%. And you can still do that. You guys have been great. And everyone out there has been great. You know, these guys, not just Twitter. You're right. You know, the one thing about Twitter, all the bots and trolls that then these companies that are on Twitter, right. those guys are the ones that attacked all these box stores and stuff. So then and it just, cancer culture just keeps on spreading. Yeah. And like you said, we, we, how many of these people are actually real? How many people are actually offended by any of the things that we're so worried about canceling in this society right now? All of it is so stupid. We talked to you last week about right. uh, former business partners uh, that have dropped your products from their shelves, just like you're just talking about. Here's the big list right here. Right. How are you and your employees weathering that storm? And, and what do you think is next for your business? Well, I want to add one more of that list to make sure we don't, uh, we don't forget them. Mattress Firm dropped us this week. And uh, Shop HQ in Minnesota. So if yeah. they just keep piling on, I think they, they sit out there and they go, okay, now we can do it. My, my pillow won't know us and notice. But you know what? I want to tell them they are the biggest ones that are the losers because the lo they're the ones losing the real customers. And they end up coming right to my pillow now. And great companies uh, um, are stepping up that are out there like Newsmax and like other companies that have put the word out to yeah. help my pillow. And everyone, everyone's been buying and we've been so busy. We actually are hiring right now for shipping. <laughs> and all of my employees think, even every, each and every one of you out there that have bought my pillow, you know, we have over 110 products too. We're not just, uh, it's not just pillows anymore. Yeah, no kidding. And my parents have one of your pillows. In fact, yeah, you, I'm glad to hear you guys are hiring and that and that the business is, is surviving yeah. this because it is scary. I mean, it really scares a lot of people, and that's why everybody's walking around on eggshells because they're worried that if they don't cancel you, somebody's going to cancel them. But finally, I just want to ask, right. uh, as, as as far as the impeachment, we spent the, the top of the show talking about the impeachment brief up today by the Democrats. What are your thoughts on this pending trial politically? To you, does this seem like a loser for Democrats to put Donald Trump on trial now? 
Uh, well, I think it's uh, it's probably the worst thing I've ever heard of anybody doing, and it doesn't matter what side you're on. He's not even in office, and and uh, but I will. There's something coming out Friday that's going to really help him. A documentary I put together, and then it's going to see it. I think that's going to help. And I just think it's a shame of what they're doing. Uh, one of the greatest presidents, if not the greatest in history, and all the great things he did for our country, and you treated him like garbage for four years, and now to do this, I mean, it's just, it, all, the whole world's watching. It's just a yeah. shame. Understood. Yeah, and you've got a new documentary coming out Friday. We're very excited to see uh, what that entails. Mike Lindell, CEO of MyPillow. Thank you, sir, for being a good friend and for coming on Newsmax tonight. We appreciate it. No, you guys are great. Thanks a lot for having me on. You just watched Newsmax TV. But nothing about Bob Sellers. Bob Sellers told the world that, uh, you know, he was a little bit, uh, you know, taken back and thought that it, it isn't something that we should be focusing on. Hmm. Because <laughs> it's not important, right? It's not important. It's not important that he walked out on a guest. It's not important that uh, he lied to the world. It's not. What's important is what he told you. Now, a lot of people are hailing, uh, you know, DeSantis is doing great with this plan to hold social media accountable. And it is quite interesting how it's uh, moving along and how this is all panning out. But does it stop there is the question. Will there be more? Will there be more of these states taking back control? And uh, while many people believe that, you know, you look to your governor because they do yield that power, uh, you know, you're also in power. And if your governor's not doing his job and he's not yielding the power that you have vested in him, then it's your right to take it. And it's your right to claim it. Let's take a look at what DeSantis's plan is. Story was true. Okay, we now know it was true. And the typical corporate media outlets, they just chose to ignore it. Obviously, they wanted to beat Trump. But we rely on social media to go around that, not let corporate legacy media outlets control the discourse and let us speak. What they said at the time, oh, it was it was it's a conspiracy or it's based on 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 hacked information. Are you kidding me? You're trying to tell me if there was hacked information that could damage me, you guys wouldn't print it. Give me a break. You can whiz on my leg, but don't tell me it's raining. <laughs> governor Ron DeSantis, Republican governor of Florida. Welcome to Newsmax, sir. And uh, well done uh, yesterday. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Terrific. And let's face it, um, <laughs> social media needs to change in a big way. First things first, though. Do you think, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, but could this possibly, your efforts, get Donald Trump back on Twitter? <laughs> well, that remains to be seen, but I think what we're doing, and I was there when we did the press conference, I had the Speaker of the Florida House and the President of the Florida Senate, so we got strong support in the legislature for this, but we're really looking to do three things. One is protect the data privacy of Floridians. I mean, these tech companies take the data, they sell it on these exchanges. It's unbelievable what they're allowed to get away with. Number two, prevent big tech from interfering in our elections. 
And yes, that would involve potentially deplatforming candidates, particularly in competitive races. Uh, it also Wait, I want you guys to listen to the key words that he's stating, right? He said Floridians. He's protecting Floridians. Because when it comes down to your state, who protects you? Your governor, your attorney general, and your secretary of state. And the people that back them are your state senators and your state representatives. So what you have to look at is who in your state is doing anything for you right now? Who is doing anything for you? It could mean them suppressing information or elevating information to benefit a preferred candidate. Those are effectively in-kind contributions. And then the final thing is just the general censorship uh, and deplatforming. You know, for example, they'll have these terms of service, they'll change it all the time, or they won't apply it equally. We're letting individual Floridians file suit under Florida's Unfair and De Deceptive Trade Practices Act, as well as our state attorney general under the same law uh, to be able to hold big tech accountable. So in other words, the citizens have a complaint, the citizens of Florida, they have their own state legislation. Remember, the states have a lot of power. Pam Bondi is taking that and she is defending them because she's the state's lawyer. See, this is what in your state, your governor and your AG should be doing. You see? This is where it gets to. Do you see how important you are? Do you see how important your state legislators are? That's exactly it. Did I say Pam Bondi? It's Moody, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's because I'm reading something about Pam Bondi. Sorry. When they're doing this in ways that are totally biased and unprincipled. So I think what we're doing is really providing a framework uh, to create uh, a social media environment and a broader internet environment that was really what the original vision was. I mean, you go back 10 years, you didn't have this type of censorship. So I think that this is the right thing to do. And what I found on these things, Greg, is you just got to lead. And until someone leads, no one does it. So Florida has been leading on a lot of things over the last couple of years. We're leading again. And I think you're going to see other states follow suit. Governor, you nailed it there about leading. A lot of other, that's what's different about you. A lot of politicians look left, look right. They look to the media. They look for guidance. They look for permission. But you take the initiative time and time again. That's what sets you apart. Um, you don't have to comment on that. But uh, with that in mind. Well, no, but I think, Greg, I mean, I think it is. It's about you know, when you get elected, are you going to get elected and then do the things you said you would do? And then as new issues arrive, exercise leadership. That's what that's what people in Florida want to see. You don't have to put your finger in the wind. You don't have to do. I have not taken a poll since I've been governor. Uh, I don't need to. I got to do what's right. I got to do what the folks um, expect me to do. So that's kind of the model. I think some politicians, well, too many politicians, they get elected and then they think their sole job is to just continue to get elected when actually you get elected to do things. And that's what we've been able to do. I mean, because of uh, all the stuff with uh, Corona, uh, there's been a lot of things that we did last year, for example, that no one even talks about, like E-Verify. We also banned sanctuary cities. So we're going to continue to work on all these issues. But I do think election integrity, big tech, uh, some of these issues are not going away and we've got to address them head on. Hey, by the way, you're in Florida. President Trump is now a resident of Florida. He's in Mar-a-Lago, seems to be keeping a low profile. 
Can you say whether or not you've been uh, you've had a talk with him? So I have not seen him since he came back down. Obviously, he's having to deal with this farcical uh, uh, trial in the Senate. And I think he's just keeping his head down uh, until that is done. But but I think that whole thing is, is a total joke. And uh, but he um, I, I think he got good news. Uh, there was a, uh, a reports that that Palm Beach is going to try to kick him out of Mar-a-Lago for some contract. And supposedly they look back and the legal opinion was he, he has every right to, to live in Mar-a-Lago. So we'll stay tuned to see how that's resolved. All right. So 2024, by the way, I have to ask you, actually, somebody did ask me to ask you, would you run for president? Are you thinking about running for president in 2024? I'm thinking about governing Florida and then running for re-election in 2022. I mean, it's a really important election for our state. So we just lead here. You know, we do with what it, what it is. I think a lot of the speculation just goes back to what you were saying. Like people see me out here leading and they, they like to see that in the Republican Party because quite frankly, we need more elected Republicans to show some backbone and to be willing to get in there, fight, fight intelligently, uh, but be willing to uh, to lead. And so we're willing to do it. But I do think our state is doing very well uh, compared to these other lockdown states. We continue to have people want to come here, want to invest here. So we're going to continue attending uh, to those issues. And hopefully we'll have a a big uh, election victory in 2022. And I'm happy to come on your show, you know, at that point to, to celebrate that. we got a lot of work to do between now and then. All right. Well, please come on before the end of next year. Uh, okay. By the way, it's a, ghost, it's a ghost town up here. And I'm, I'm hearing all kinds of great reports about what's happening in Florida. Fantastic. Hey, I want to show this to the folks. Uh, you do know how to fight. And you do know how to take on the mainstream media. Uh, uh, very, very cool, actually. Take a look, everybody. What has gone wrong with, Governor, what has gone wrong with the rollout of the vaccine that we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashed? There's a lot of demand. Also, I mean, I think at I, the end I, of the I, day, we, excuse finish, me, excuse if could, me. If I could finish my question. You just said what has gone wrong, so I'm answering the question. If I could complete the question, though. So you're going to give a speech or you're going to answer, ask a question? With all due respect, Governor, you I'm trying to answer it. You asked the question, I'm, I'm going to answer it. to finish my you're question. Not, no, you're, you're, you're giving a speech. You you asked the question. I am trying to ask you. The, You're going to ask how many questions? You get three. They only got one question. Why do you get three? With all due respect, Governor, I'm just asking if I could finish my question. You didn't. You my, finished the question. I, so, Governor, when I first saw that weeks ago, uh, I knew that she had engineered a wannabe viral moment because she had that camera. On, that was a CNN camera, I believe, on her. So they, you know, they planned it. They were going to give you a hard time and, and see what would happen next. Did you catch that? Well, so at the time, I didn't know that camera was there, but then someone pointed it out to me. And so that's the tell. If you're really there just to gather facts, why would it matter? Why would you need a camera on you? Instead, that was trying, she was trying to generate fodder for her resume reel or highlight tape and trying to get more notoriety. And so it's more about them pushing narratives than it is about reporting the facts. And of course, They've been very dishonest for months and months, um, you know, that particular network and reporter. So, but you understand what, what it is. Nobody should be, have any illusions about the agenda is with a lot of these people. And I think what I see, particularly in Washington, some of these elected Republicans, they do somersaults to try to please these very left-wing journalists in these outfits understand they don't want Republicans to do well. They don't want us to win elections. And so stop playing their game. Great advice uh, for other politicians. Great advice. So why does everyone like DeSantis? Because he's honest. He doesn't care what anybody has to say. 
What matters to him is what his constituents think. And he has placed some order within his state. And he has placed some really good avenues of knowledge. His citizens, the residents of Florida, hence why their population has been increasing exponentially, is exactly what we seek. So why did Florida get lucky? Why is every other state unlucky? Well, you know, DeSantis was elected during a Trump administration and within a state where people promoted independence, liberty, freedom of speech, and where they had a lot of Cubans <laughs> that were really against communism. But you have to think, why do the other states not have governors that battle for them? You know, uh, we saw some great spears and swords being pulled by some governors. I mean, Christy Noem was one of them, right? Why isn't she supporting South Dakotans? in the battle against big tech? Why isn't she doing the same thing? Why aren't the governors getting together to do this? Why isn't any governor getting together to do this? Think of it. You have to see their actions. And just like in the state of Ohio, where um, you know we had a short chat right, uh, with my Ohioans, we're going to have a longer one this weekend. Um, what's fascinating is, is that some people were like, well, this person is a patriot. Well, here's how it's going to go. If they were a patriot on November 4th, 2020, after they won their seat for those that were elected in 2020 and those that were elected in 2018, they should have all in unity, in unison, I would say, have all said the state of Ohio's elections were rigged or invalid or illegal according to a congressionally passed act of 2002. We refuse to maintain this seat or take on this seat if they were just elected. Because we believe in the First Amendment and that every citizen's voice should be heard at the ballot box. Therefore, we are going to conduct new elections because all of us will not be taking our positions and we will not have a Congress or a Senate. And they could have easily done that because it's majority Republican. But they did not. Instead, like DeSantis said, all they care about is being elected and reelected. So they're not really patriots. They're fake triots, right? Fake triots. If they were real patriots, they would have done that. They would have stood up. And you know, when we have our conversation going over the quo warranto, I am inviting every single state legislator and state senator of the state of Ohio to listen to how we're going to take them down. And I'm also going to tell them, because you didn't have the balls to stand up for us, we're going to make enough noise to let the whole world know that this state is unhappy and that you are traitors to the people of your state. And every other state that is happening is going to do the same. Every other state. Now, the only, the only thing that concerns me is the fear porn. This is why I wanted to show you in the first hour all this fear porn. I wanted you to be aware of it. I wanted you to know if that fear porn was effective, this is what happened in the past, this is their future, and this is what they want. 
right? This is exactly what they want. But I want you to know that they cannot do that because on paper, you are still free. On paper, you still have the rights afforded to you by the Constitution that is still on paper. Their plan, Joe Biden, once he wraps up the crimes of Jesse Smollett and Kamala Harris, because that's what's being done in the background, FYI, will be removed so that she can step in, just like George Soros said. And gosh, I'm still trying to find that video where he said she was going to be president. If anybody finds it, send it to me. Um, that was the only thing I had in my hard drive. So upset. It wasn't transferred to my new portable. So uh, that's their plan. But we're going to have a lot happening. Today, I, I heard that uh, with the stimulus and all of this, that they're going to be tightening the measures of who gets money and when and looking to put more constraints. And they don't care if they don't get partisanship on the bill. They're going to pass it anyway because they can. Well, you know why they can? Because we're letting them do it. And while all of us really want to fight. I mean, come on. Remember, George Washington was a beast. He crossed an icy river to kill his enemies while they were sleeping on Christmas. That's insane. Nobody talks about it. He killed them in their sleep on Christmas night while they were sleeping. We don't have to do that. We could use the law in our favor. We should demand equality. Who are they to decide where equality falls? Who has more rights than others? We are all equal. I don't care how tall, short, fat, skinny, dark, light you are. You have 100% the same rights as everybody else. I don't care who you sleep with. You can sleep with an, an abundance of people at once, the same sex, or opposite sex or same sex that identifies as opposite. I really don't care. Bottom line is I don't care. I don't care. Are you in my community? I will support you. Are you working and doing a job? I will support you, but you deserve the same rights I do. Nobody gets an extra scholarship because they're color of their skin. That's stupid. Nobody gets an extra scholarship because they have sex with certain people. Nobody cares who you have sex with. I, you know, I, I, I am not at all homophobic, actually, totally the opposite. But when I see people walking around, parading around, yeah, I'm like LGBT. <laughs> it's like, I don't care who you sleep with. Like, what do I care for? Why, why would I care? How are you doing your job better? Or how are you able to be smarter because you have sex with three people? You like throuples or because you like the same sex or you identify as, you know, a plant. Like, how does that affect me? Why should I care? That's, that's the thing. Why should we care, right? Because the demagogue said so. Remember, we did this whole show on demagogues, and what they do is they take fake social issues, and then they amplify them and pretend that everyone is impoverished. And then once they get into office, they just like totally forget about it. And they don't care that, you know, uh, they left you hanging. And you know, they've done this to most people in impoverished areas again and again and again.
Speaking of impoverished, I had a conversation with my daughter um, who was struggling with something. And, you know, she, um, she got it finally. <laughs> um, but, you know, if someone tells you their story and they tell you where they've been, what they've been through, you know, a young child in a home where he's beaten every day, you know, parents doing drugs and passing out, the child going through the garbage to feed himself, makes friends with the other kid in the building that sells drugs. So he carries a baggie for him, you know, gets into trouble with the law because that's the only way he knew to survive because at some point his parents were so cracked out that there was no food. So he had to rely on himself. He would steal people's wallets in order to feed himself, right? And as a child, and no one would care if he went to school or he didn't. He knew he should go to school, but he didn't because nobody really cared. And so that child grew up feeling like the world owes him something. The world owes him a childhood. The world owes him a hug. The world owes him. And this is why we have people in situations like that. And so when you hear their story, you sit and you look at them and you say, no wonder you turned out that way. And that's wrong. I agree that it is horrific that a child that comes into this world is put through trials. But I believe that the children that have put, been put through the hardest trials are one of the strongest people there are if they make that decision. So it is at some point in your life when you are a child that you are able to make decisions. It is at some point that you know that taking that bag of drugs and walking it across the street, getting money and going back to the guy and giving him whatever you made is illegal. You know that standing in line and pickpocketing someone, I know you're hungry, but pickpocketing someone is okay, but it's really not. It's not, and you know it. So there are real no excuses. As a child, you know, you are formed at a very young age. And trauma, childhood trauma, let's say, is a very big deal because it stays with you forever. You might not remember, but I'm pretty sure your mind does. Your first memories, your first smiles, the first time someone dropped you, the first time you try to feed yourself and you stabbed yourself in the eye, you know, the first time you tried a shirt on and you couldn't put it on, uh, the first time you smelled a flower, you know, all these things. But those are all overcome when you find the empowerment within those things. The empowerment within those things. We learn every single day from the minute we are born. Our brains are plastic. They grow. And it is at some point, if the only thing people would do is be honest with themselves at any point in their life, they don't have to be 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 45, whatever age that may be. You have to be honest with yourself. You know, being in positions that you don't like, your job, your relationship, your your house, your, your car, whatever, whatever it is that you don't like. Because it's too much 
of a hassle is, is, is a problem. You know, people, when they want to develop something or do something kind of like what we're about to do in every single state, they think of their comfort. Well, well, if I do this, I'm risking this. If I do that, I'm going through that, right? There's always the reasoning part. When we say the reason is the advocate to tell your gut not to do it, to tell you, well, maybe you should just compromise. Life is way too short for humans to compromise. You live in today. You don't have anxiety for what's to come tomorrow. You live for today. You don't think about what you should have done yesterday. You live for today. Little things that we do, like if we get up in the morning and we like, you know, put a, you know, make our bed, we're trying to encourage ourselves to be tidy, right? If we wake up in the morning and the minute our feet hit the ground, we're like, I'm grateful for this, this, this. All right, let me start my day. Do you know that over 50% of your life is spent on your routine? So think about it, routine. And, 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 and get, this, get, get this thought, okay? I, I want you to understand the basics of this. I'll tell you what my routine is in the morning. In the morning, I get up, I make my bed, um, I say what I'm grateful for. That's exactly what I do. And then I um, walk over to the kitchen, I make coffee. I play the news. Uh, you know, I'm like, just tell me the news for today. Whatever synopsis, whatever the propaganda machine wants me to know, I listen to. And then I make my coffee. I say a nice little prayer, whatever that may be. And then I go to my desk and I start looking at emails. And maybe put on laundry if I put it on yesterday and forgot to put it in the dryer, I rerun it. So in that routine that I do, which is like a 20-minute routine, let's say. There are many things that I can perfect to make it nicer for me, make it more comfortable, right? Um, maybe I can say, you know, maybe I should go wash my face before I go make the coffee, brush my teeth, feel a little bit more pepped up. That'll make my routine better, right? We can always find little things that we could do. Or maybe you could say, maybe I can preemptively begin my routine by maybe in the evening before, if I'm going to be using beans that I'm going to grind, I can grind them earlier and put them in. And all I have to do is press the button. Or maybe I can, if it's automated, I can set it up. These are all things, maybe, 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 maybe. Things that we can fine tune to make it easier for us, make it nicer, more pleasurable, right? So think in your life right now, in your speck of the influences that you think you have no control over, which is when you can leave your house, because obviously you don't have control over that anymore. What you are allowed to say, you don't have control over that anymore. Where you are allowed to go, you don't have control over that anymore. Your job, you may not have control over that either, right? These are all aspects of your life, right? that are routine for you, not like the coffee, which, you know, your morning routine or how you get up or things that you do by habit. But by habit, we go to the supermarket. By habit, we go to work. By habit, we go to the gas station. By habit, you know, we do things repetitively because it is part of our day-to-day -day life. Now, a lot of those things you believe you have control over. Oh, I choose a supermarket. Well, what if you don't? Because obviously there's restrictions on you leaving. 
maybe you are forced to wear a hijab or a mask or a clown shirt or a yellow star in order to enter. You had the ability to control that. And that was done from how? By you making sure that you had the right people in office. And since you did not make sure that you had the right people in office, therefore now you must abide by their rules. By their rules. So what is the saying? In order to get the best work done, you got to do it yourself. Because the only person that should impose any rules on you is yourself. The only person that can force you to put medicine in your body is yourself. The only person that can, you know, make you get up in the morning is yourself. The only person that can make you read a book is yourself. Rules are created by you. And you're going to be like, well, I didn't make, I didn't tell the governor that, you know, you need to shut down my city, you know, and state at 10 o'clock at night because of coronavirus. No, you didn't. But you did give him the power to do that. Yeah, but you know, I have to gather all these signatures and then you have to file it and then there have to be elections. And then I want to remove Congressman Gonzalez, but I can't because apparently they've got to be in office for nine months before you can start collecting signatures. And then you have to wait until there's an election. And I said, well, who made all those rules, you guys? Who made all those rules? You did. You made all those rules to collect signatures. You made all those rules that they should at least be in office for nine months before you do something. You made all those rules that empowers them to do what they like. You made all those rules. And while you might sit there and say, no, I didn't. I didn't. I did not say you can shut my state down. I did not say you can, you know, choose which businesses are open. I did not say that Amazon is the only person I can order from. I did not say anything like this. Well, yes, you did. You're letting them stay in office. You've let them create mountains for you to climb to remove them. And soon there will be no mountain. It will be just a wall. Soon you won't be able to do diddly squat because they said so. And for those of you that are farmers, for those of you that are retirees, enjoying your lakeside property, your, you know, horses, they're going to come for you first. They're going to come and take your land first. They're going to want to develop land first. You're going to be the first to go. Because there's a difference between a statesman and a politician. There's a difference. And I think it's important we visit that difference and understand that difference. To be able to understand where we ailed and where we, where we ailed slash failed. Here we go. What is the difference between a statesman versus a politician? American politics has become a left and right game between the Democratic and Republican parties. It's sort of like a ping pong match. Whichever one is in control seems to score a point. But in order to stop playing this game, Americans will have to once again make a distinction between a politician and a statesman. A politician is an individual who studies the art of what it takes to get reelected. If he must move toward the center, the right, or the left, his rhetoric follows suit, counting on the fact that the American citizen will not remember his long-term record. 
but only his latest rhetoric. A statesman, on the other hand, is concerned with truth, its conviction and his faithful adherence to it, regardless of the consequences. Most importantly, a statesman will seriously consider the oath that binds him to a faithful loyalty to the Constitution at the state or federal level. In the early days of our republic, the oath was the central focus in the selection of a candidate for office. The consistent adherence to the written Constitution was the measuring stick as to whether someone had the character to be a representative at any level of government. The Constitution is the authority or permission by which an individual rules. In the American tradition of self-government, an individual that has demonstrated internal control through their character is then going to delegate authority to one who exercises external control over others. Without having demonstrated internal character, you can't be trusted with external power or rulership. In fact, it's very clear that how one spends their own money, for instance, is a good indication of how they might spend the public's money. Noah Webster, in his 1828 dictionary, defined words as the founders used them. Oath is, quote, a solemn affirmation or declaration made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. The appeal to God in an oath implies that the person imprecates his vengeance and renounces his favor if the declaration is false. Or if the declaration is a promise, the person invokes the vengeance of God if he should fail to fulfill it. A false oath is called perjury, end quote. Today, the oaths of office inherent in positions of service are not taken seriously. Few candidates are questioned about original intent of the Constitution. Most politicians simply state their own opinions and make promises regardless of whether they have been given permission by the written Constitution to which they pledge. Jesus said about oaths, let your communication be yes, yes, no, no, for whatever is more than these is evil. In other words, make sure when you say yes, you mean yes, and when you say no, you mean no. In a day when politicians and their votes are bought and sold in the market of bribery within the halls of government in order to hide one's true character, the Bible standard reveals a much higher level of decency. Politicians assume an almost unlimited permission to do anything they want unless curtailed by the swinging pendulum of public support. Statesmen, however, govern within the permission granted by the written constitution to which they promise obedience, so help me God. A statesman's attitude in philosophy is the only one that meets the test for the oath of office. Politicians build an elitist entitlement attitude, building a career on granting favors to the right people. Statesmen make sacrifices to serve others after having proven their self-government privately. The greatest lie in American politics is this, that what one is or does in private has nothing to do with how they act or rule in public. Nothing could be further from the truth. For one's character from within will be revealed in due time while in public office. As the pendulum swings from one end to the other these days, people's lives, liberty, and property hang in the balance. This is no time for apathy, and it is no time for playing the left-right ping-pong game of politics. Let's send the kind of message no politician wants, but every politician needs. If you've been a politician, bought and sold in the market of bribery and favors, begin looking for another job. We aren't going to be fooled with your changing rhetoric in order to hide your record. We'll keep the statesmen, for we've studied their record, and it matches their rhetoric. And if we need to, we'll vote in new statesmen, people we know and people we can trust that are willing to be convicted and loyal to the original intent of the oath that they take. As Sam Adams stated, 
He therefore is the truest friend of liberty of his country, who tries most to promote its virtue, and who, so far as his power and influence extend, will not suffer a man to be chosen into any office and trust who is not a wise and virtuous man. Pretty interesting. Because what you need to understand is, is that this nation was actually built on the idea that every single citizen of this nation is indeed a statesman. And then we just appoint a statesman that is willing to be your representative. It's kind of like when you did a group project in school. You guys would get together, you would pick someone that would talk for you, and that's it. So this is the notion that we're going to even put in our cool warranto. That, you know, uh, if they were true statesmen, they would have indeed stepped down because they know that they are there illegally. They know wingly and willingly are sitting in an office that is <sighs> pretty much their position is stolen. They usurp their way in there and they all know it, Republican or Democrat. And true statesmen are the people the people that care about their communities, the people that say, hey, city mayor, why are you buying new trucks? We have potholes, can we fix that? Hey, mayor, um, police haven't gotten a raise. It's like a revolving door. Um, maybe you wanna do something about that because they kind of uh, make sure we're safe. Hey, um, so this school is really bad, not just because it's in a neighborhood where there's higher crime, but, because the teachers, you know, don't know what sex they are. Why are they teaching our children if they're confused about themselves? Simple things. Why would you have anyone educate you that doesn't even know what, what sex they are? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, you know, sound. It's the truth. I don't care. It's the truth. If you're, if you don't know where you sit and you don't know what private parts you have, it's okay to say you don't like the private parts you have. And it's okay, you know, but when you're like, oh, you know, I, I really don't know. Oh, you know, socialism is fine. It's fair for all. No, socialism is slavery for all. You can't have those people educating your children. Remember, you remember without really remembering the first time you stab yourself in the face trying to feed yourself. You think you don't remember your teacher telling you that, you know, being, <sighs> being ambitious and wanting to be number one at everything and wanting to succeed or envisioning yourself opening up your own bakery and making cookies and working for yourself and making your own hours is bad when they tell you you should be serving others. When you tell them I'm working really, really hard I don't want you taking my money. And they say, but there's people that don't have any. That's fine. We'll find them and we'll help them. We will make sure that our community has a way to help people that are really needy. Not people that sit at home and decide they don't want to work or that decide working is too much stress or that decide that the world owes them. Reform. I think what we need is reform on our educational systems more than anything. So what we're about to see, and this week has dragged on, right guys? I mean, it's Thursday and it feels like it's next Thursday already. What we're about to see when we file in Ohio, first of all, is the screeching. We're gonna see them screech and scream and demand. And again, 
when you are the weakest, when things look like there's no way out. Have you ever been in a situation, even as a kid, you're in, I don't know, you're in a situation that's pretty sticky. You know, uh, here's one situation. I actually have a scar for that. Um, I don't know what possessed me, okay? But I took uh, a bicycle from one of my cousins and wanted to go down a hill that was very, very steep. And this hill was a street that had many other roads feeding into it. So I could have been hit by a car. It was extremely steep. So I take it and they're like, you know, you shouldn't go down there. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Bad decision, bad decision. But I thought if I could do it, I can then see how fast I go. <laughs> Whatever. I was a kid. So I head down to um, the top of it uh, from the higher part that he was at. And I mush and I go. And as I'm going down this street, I can see cars wanting to cross this very steep hill. And um, it was at cl close to the end of it um, that I saw a car pulling out, didn't see me. And I thought to myself, all right, so, uh, you know, this is impossible. I can't avoid it. But I did. Instead, I hit the tree, <laughs> which I thought was safer. And I got the whole, you know, where the chain thing is, the round thing that holds the chain. That was actually embedded in my, uh, like right by my ankle. So I have that scar. But when it, when it happened that, you know, my, my fall was softer because it was grass, uh, uh, when I fell off the bike, obviously, um, the bike fell on me too, because I was coming down really, really quick. Um, I remember feeling like, whoa, I, I totally did it. Like no one's ever done that before. Like we're talking steep. I'm not saying it's one of those steep ones. Have you ever been on those really high water slides where you're like going down the slide and you don't feel the slide on your back? Cause it's so steep that you've like, you're flying away from the slide. It was like that. Okay. It was very steep. Like the, the, the bicycle was barely like there. I don't know what possessed me to do it, but when I succeeded, I was like, damn, that was like super impossible because it was narrow road. It wasn't like a big road. Right. Um, that was impossible. But that little maneuver I did between these two parked cars got me to go toward a tree that then landed me in some person's, you know, front and little yard patch. And that split second decision, that very calculated decision, because, you know, it had to be calculated because it was <laughs> perfectly done to go, <laughs> you know, in between two parked cars and somehow manage to control a bicycle that was going so fast. That felt so good. The adrenaline was running. It felt incredible, incredible. And that's what you guys should feel when you're going up against these clowns. And you know what should feel incredible? Just like the picture that I have on the screen. The politician is on the plank. They're hanging out in the ether, you know? And the only reason that they haven't fallen down is because the people are standing on the plank on the other side of the cliff. That should pump you more than anything. That is exactly how the power of the people works. The only reason they are there is because you're there. Feel that adrenaline, accept that challenge, make it your biatch, eat it for lunch. And Sam coming at you. And a statesman, 
what the guy said. The statesman in his life shows who he is, and therefore the people will trust him. You know who people trust more? The people that fucked up, picked themselves back up, and are just putting their feet down and saying no. That's the way it is. I, I trust someone that has been in the gutter and stepped out more than someone that's wearing white clothes. You know, it's like watching someone with a t-shirt that's white in a pizzeria or, you know, an Italian restaurant eating pasta and then they come out clean. You know, they ate the salad, right? Because you never walk out through life clean because sin is something every human being undergoes. Your thoughts your actions, and the only way you are a seasoned individual to speak on behalf of others is by failing. Because you have failed, you know how it is to win. And you win harder, especially when the odds are like zero. You're in a room, they've taken out the doors, they've taken out the windows. What do you do? You either sit in the corner and cry and beg them to create a door, or you make a door. You bust through the ceiling, bust through the floor, bust through the walls. This is exactly what you need to do. So for those of us filing these quo warrantos, we're going ver- to have the verbiage so nice that even if they want to talk shit, and even if you don't take that seat, right, and the judge has to rule and, you know, tell us it's meritless or, you know, or it works. We don't know. We don't, but what we do know regardless is that we're making history. What we do know regardless is that we're telling them we're coming for you. That's exactly what you have to do. So for those of you signing up to do these things with reservation of failure, enjoy failure. I love it when I fail. Failure empowers you to do better. Failure teaches you something. And what this will teach us is where the judicial system sits in Ohio. According to the Constitution, you can redress your grievances. According to the Constitution, you have the right to speak your mind. It was found by a judge, Supreme Court judge, that the most general distinction of a public office is that it embraces the performance by the incumbent of a public function delegated to him as part of the sovereignty of the state. An office such as to properly come with the legitimate scope of information in the nature of a quo warranto may be defined as a public position to which a portion of the sovereignty of the county, either legislative, executive, or judicial, attaches for the time being and which is exercised for the benefit of the public. It's interesting. Because when you file for a quo warranto, according to the Supreme Court, you must show that not only that you are entitled to the office and that the office is unlawfully held by the respondent in action, but also that the office is public. So the office is indeed public. The office, right, of your state legislators is public. But are you entitled to it is the question. And that's a question that we have to answer in our filing. I want you to think about it. Are you entitled to the seat that your district, state, senate, or state house has? Your representative in your district, are you entitled to that office? What does entitlement even mean is the question. (laughs) And we're going to give them that answer. 
We're going to make sure they listen to our answer because we make the rules. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this will be answered. I am so excited. Again, I'm so proud of every single one of you stepping up because this is exactly where we need to be. On that note, 17 Nation Army, for those on uh, Twitch, will be raiding a new channel today. Stand fast. God bless everyone. See you tomorrow. I'm gonna fight them all. Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. They're gonna rip it off. Taking their time right behind my back. And I'm talking to myself at night because I can't forget. Back and forth through my mind behind a cigarette. And the message coming from my eyes says, Leave it alone. Don't want to hear about it. Every single one's got a story to tell. Everyone knows about it. From the Queen of England to the House of Hope. And if I catch you coming back my way, I'm gonna sell it to you. And that ain't what you want to hear, but that's what I'll do. And the feelings coming from my bones says find a home. I'm gonna wait your time Far from this awful for forevermore I'm gonna work the strong Make the sweat drip out of every pore And I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding right before the Lord All the words are gonna bleed from me and I will sing no more. And the stings coming from my blood tells me go back home. Go back home.